What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Bounds Network. My name is John Kroom. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review as it helps out a lot. Also, make sure you go check out the merch. We got socks. We got coffee mugs. We got all kinds of cool stuff. All you have to do is go to johncroomcycling.com purchase that stuff pick that stuff up as soon as possible and if you become a supporter of this podcast i'll send you a gift in the mail all you have to do is click in our description there's a way to support this podcast so just click on that become a supporter at any level and yeah i'll send you a cool little gift in the mail so be sure to check that out but anyways i'm really excited about this episode because we dive in with probably one of my biggest heroes and one of the guys that I've looked up to for the longest time, and that is Ed Clancy. Ed Clancy is a four-time Olympian, three-time gold medalist, and yeah, I mean, his the list just goes on. He has eight world records in the team pursuit. I'm a team pursuer myself, and it's even weird calling myself a team pursuer as I'm talking about this guy. This guy is so decorated and so knowledgeable, but we dove into something that I never even thought we would touch on, and that is the mind. This is this is pretty much what got him through the sport is the mental game and preparing his mind for training and pretty much being his best self so it's really cool to sit down with him and chat through with him just on the system get to know him a little bit but anyways i'll shut up let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode but first let's hear a quick message from the sponsors and back for another episode is spot spot covers your medical bills up to twenty thousand dollars each time you get injured spot will cover your medical or your actual out-of-pocket costs instead of a fixed fee in a world where many people are under or uninsured with sky-high deductibles spot fills that gap that is sorely lacking in the outdoor space spot has no deductible and is a monthly subscription can be canceled at any time spot works whether you have health insurance or not spot will also work with and covers a lot of cyclists and mountain bikers but Spot covers you worldwide 24-7, whether you're ripping a crit, skiing a black diamond, chopping up food in your kitchen, or even climbing Mount Everest. So be sure to go check them out at kroom.getspot.com. That's kroom.getspot.com. Also back for another episode is Twisted Spoke. Guys, some of my favorite CBD on the market, Twisted Spoke. But honestly, I love these dudes. They're two guys that uh, work over there, and it's Gabe and Wynn, and they are just some of the nicest dudes you can possibly meet, and they're here to help you. So go check them out at twistedspokecbd.com if that's something that you're interested in. Um, I mean, I use it for myself. My wife uses it, and even my dogs use it. My dog just had a recent ACL tear, and uh, it's helped with his anxiety as well as manage the pain, which is super cool because I can't even really communicate with them but you can tell he's feeling a lot better, or at least I think he does. But anyways, you can check them out at twistedspokecbd.com. That's twistedspokecbd.com. Some of the best CBD in the area here in Colorado Springs, but yeah, check them out. Also back for another episode is Zill Pro. Guys, if you've seen me travel to a road race, I'm living out of my van pretty much right now when I go race to race, and I need a way to keep my bikes protected because my van's pretty small, so my va- my bikes sit on the outside of my van, and I use the Zeal Pro bags. Guys, I cover my bikes with these bags where I can lock them to the car, so if it rains, if it sleets, if it gets you know, crummy outside, my bike's protected and my bike stays clean. So check them out at zealpro.com. That's zealpro.com. Also, I'll put a link in the description below. But other than that, let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Bounds Network. I'm sitting here with, what, three time or four time Olympian, right? Ed Clancy. Is it four? That's right. 
Four-time Olympian, but only three gold medals, I'm afraid. But only three. Only three gold medals. And, you know, he's got cool things after his name, the OBE. We don't have those kinds of things in America, which... Can you tell us a little, can you tell me a little, I'm just going to start the podcast off that way. Like, yeah, can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that? You are a part of the British order, right? Or is that my saying that right? right? Or did I butcher so, it? <laughs> no, no, no. We were close enough. So yeah, over here in the UK, if you do something that is considered either charitable or you've gone over and above for queen and country, then as far as I know, there's four main, um, steps of the ladder if you like so generally speaking you'll get one gold medal you get an mbe which means you're a member of the british empire mm -hmm. and uh, i think if you look into uh, ancient history it actually en it enables me to walk my sheep across london bridge or something oh, like that all right right on but, you how know, many sheep you got ed yeah well i don't have any funnily enough <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah in terms of its day-to-day -day practical use I'm, I'm not sure it gives you um much of that. And then the second rung of the, rung of the ladder is an OBE, order, I think, of the British Empire. Yeah. And then it's a CBE. It might be a colonel or something in the British Empire. And then you generally get a, a knighthood or a damehood. Um, oh, wow. You know, when, when you reach the, the pinnacle of the hierarchy. All right on. Um, I'm not sure how many sheep that enables you to move across London, but. <laughs> right on, man. No, but like I said, before we even started this podcast, um, I mean, so I, I ride Team Pursuit here in the States. I mean, you're a guy that I've looked up to even when I started racing and that was around, I started watching bike racing in 2008. So, I mean, you know, I watched you race the Omnium, watched you race Team Pursuit. Um, but man, you know, since I've been in the sport, there's probably not another person where I can think has been in the sport as long as you have and has done as much as you have. Um, I mean, cycling is pretty much all you know, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, hell, you were just telling me how you literally, you retired after, what, the Champs League, and um, you were in Spain just a week ago helping out the Brits yet again. So what was that like uh, diving back into into camp, but I guess behind a steering wheel and in some jeans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. First things first, you're right. I mean, cycling is all I know. I mean, even when I was a kid, I did a paper round. That's the only job I've had other than being a professional cyclist. And I even did that on my bike thinking about it. So, wow. It's, uh, yeah. It's been a long time, 20 years, pretty much from um, start to finish, you know, trying to, trying to ride bikes and eventually sort of making it onto the, the talent team we have over here in Britain and the junior program under 23 and I, you never really look sideways you know to think about the afterlife at all I mean you know how it is John you know cycling's yeah. a, it's a competitive thing and there's a lot of people that want your job so um, I th if there's one thing that it's, it's a cliche isn't it I just loved it yeah and, you know, I never wanted to do anything else and of course there's times where it's hard and you know, especially over here in the UK in winter, it's raining sideways for six hours. But oh. I mean, that's hard, but it's, it's also, it's hard work sitting in an office and thinking, you know, what might have been. And um, yeah, I, I always thought when I started cycling that, you know, even if I could just scrape a living, it'd be a living worth scraping. And, you know, even if they'll, there was no future in it. There was no jobs in the afterlife coaching or anything like that. You know, then at least I'd have had a, a youth worth remembering. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, all that said, it, it feels weird, mate. You know, it feels strange to be finished. And, you know, you get up in the morning and instead of sort of going to training peaks as you go to diary, you know, you open up Microsoft Outlook on your on your laptop. <laughs> What, yeah. yeah, what Zoom calls have I got today? What phone calls do I need to make? Um, who haven't I emailed that I need to get back to? And uh, yeah. it's a completely different way of like ordering your life. And it just changes like that. And yeah. Well, it, it, it's funny because like you're saying this to me now. And so, yeah, I'm still in the sport. And so the reason why I was like so interested to get you on the podcast is one, I, you know, I've thought about trying to get you on the podcast before. And, um, and I saw you drop the pursuit line this 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 new this new venture that you're kind of going out on and it made me think i wonder how many times like you know because gb at least from like the outside looking in it looks like there's like a higher turnover at least in the team pursuit right like mm -hmm. you're either like because once they're done with like look at matt walls like matt walls is already you know riding for bora right and so it's like you're in the world tour or you kind of stay in the team pursuit or you're kind of done right wouldn't you say and so you probably saw a lot of friends quit the sport and they tell you about their new career and them looking at zoom calls and not looking at training peaks anymore. So what was that? What was that kind of like, I guess, while you were still in the sport, while you were seeing some friends and teammates leave yeah. you know, to still stay motivated, I guess, more or less. Yeah. In, in terms of, you know, who the great Britain cycling team has in the team, the team pursuit, for example, I mean, there's no hard and fast rules to say, look, you know, if you're a road rider, then you can't ride the team pursuit or vice versa. You know, there's never been any sort of um, rule on commitment. You know, you've seen guys like Brad sort of drop into the track relatively late, uh, Geraint Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Um, Matt Walls has sort of gone from the track to the road, but, you know, he was still out there in Spain last week uh, training yeah. with the track team. So there is no, there's no rule about making the team pursuit other than you have to be you know, the top Good. four or five guys in the country at that point in time. And if you hit that criteria, you're in, you know, it doesn't discriminate in terms of what other activities you've going on or anything like that. It's, it's, it's always been, you know, and this is probably something that Dave Brailsford um, started a long time ago. It was always a very evidence-based thing. You know, there was no friends, there was no loyalty. It was just a case of, you know, if you do the numbers, if you're good enough, you know, from a science point of view, you'll be there. And if you're not, I mean, you know, it's sport. Sport is by definition um, an elitist thing, you know. Yeah. And you're not at the very top. Um, there's only so many places to fund riders. There's only so much love to go around in terms of support and bikes and logistical help and things like that. So, I mean, it, like you said, I've seen friends come and go and um, you're still friends with them. You're just yeah, not yeah. work colleagues, I guess. And uh, that's, I guess that's one of the more difficult sides of the game. But, you know, when you look outside of sport as well, it's, it's the same in business. You know, business is a cutthroat world and, you know, it's, um, it's tough at the top there as well, I can imagine. Oh, yeah. Well, just like, just like you said, you know, everybody's out for your job. You know, everybody's a cycling coach in the cycling world, man. You know, everybody, everybody's, you know, got their own, their own little gig, and so it's it, it is cutthroat, man. It is one one verse all, you know. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> that being said, um, you know, the pursuit line. Let's dive into a little bit of the pursuit line. Um, you know, we'll dive a little bit more into your career and your past, but um, 
yeah, tell us a little bit about the pursuit line. I just saw it pop up and, and it wasn't even as much cycling coaching as it was, as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just like, oh, here's another retired cyclist with their coaching company. And I'm surprised you even found the word pursuit in a domain in England, <laughs> you know, because it just seems like that's all you guys live for. It's time trials and pursuits out there anyway. So yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, pursuit line. So this started, um, a long time ago, you know, when you're a cyclist, a professional cyclist, I think, you know, quite early on in your career, even if it's subconsciously, people tend to identify what it is that's helping them be a good bike rider. You know, for some people, it's having a good coach and a good training program. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of it, that's the vast majority. You know, for other people, they'll find uh, big gains in nutrition. Uh, people find gains in sleep, things like that. For me, um, th there was a fellow called Steve Peters in the, in the Great Britain Cycling Setup who was a psychologist. And um, I, I engaged with him. You know, I read the books that he told me to read. I did the homework that he told me to do. And f for me, this is not going to be the same for everyone, but for me personally, sort of the mindset work I did with Steve all those years ago, it kind of yeah a little light bulb went off in my head and i was like you know obviously it's important to have a good coach a good race program good training program it's important to sleep well to eat well but you know quite quickly i, I identified that as um perhaps the most important thing in you know performing performing on the big day under pressure you know that takes a certain mindset you know we've already spoke about going out in the rain you know when it's hailing for you know six hours straight you know, that's not so much a physical challenge. It's a, it's a mind game and, you know, doing it year in, year out. And, um, you know, it, it can be a relatively tough place at times, but if you've got the right sort of mindset and, you know, you're looking at the world through um, the right set of eyes, then it's, oh, it's a great way to make a living. It's a wonderful opportunity. And, you know, any day you spend riding your bike as a professional cyclist is a great one. So, yeah. you know, I, I enjoyed working with Steve and when Steve left the program, I sought out um, another sort of human performance consultant to work with. And uh, the team, the road team I was riding with, JLT mm -hmm. at the time, uh, coincidentally met um, some human performance practitioners, you know, that do the whole mindset thing and they'll help you understand not only the way that you think, but the way your teammates think and your managers think. So how we can all sort of work together well. And yeah, again, just a little, little light bulb went off and I was like, you know, I need this in my, in my life again. So I uh, worked with uh, Pro Noctis, was the company in, in question. And um, after three or four years, I became an ambassador for them. Um, partly because, you know, they thought I had something to bring to them. But, you know, also it, it worked both ways. I used those guys to, you know, help me through Rio and Tokyo in my final years. And yeah, it's just something I, I've always believed in. I always thought it made the biggest difference, um, you know, not just to the the colour of metal that you had in your hand at the end of the day, but how much you enjoyed it. And, and that's important to me too. And, uh, you know, when I finished, I say I you know, finished after the Track Champs League a couple of weeks ago, in my head, I really finished, you know, in Tokyo in August. I was kind of thinking the same thing, but you were on the, you were on yeah. the board, right? <laughs> I guess, is that yeah. what it was? Okay. Yeah, and um, you know, I, let's say you know, my my heart had sort of like 
that was the last big one in August. Yeah. Say that. And uh, yeah, after that, uh, Phil Kelly, the guy that owned Pro Noctis, the performance consultancy business, he said, right, Ed, you know, we can keep on doing what you're doing. You know, you can continue to be an ambassador and do talks and things like that. And, you know, help me out with my clients and I'll help you out in return for whatever you want to do in the future. Or, you know, we can start something together called Pursuit Line. So, you know, it's right called on. Pursuit Line because like, um, you know, all performance consultants will, you know, have a, a reference point, you know, for this is where you're trying to be. And, you know, it is the, the pursuit line is our data point. And that's yeah. our reference for, you know, is this success? Are we a 10th up or are we a bit behind schedule here? And it's yeah. always about checking in with your coach. So that's why the name pursuit line came around. And, you know, for me personally, the, the pursuit line has been my reference point in life really for the last 15 years or so. So, um, yeah, it's a performance consultancy business. We do inspirational, motivational talks from myself. We'll do online workshops. Uh, probably mainly led by Phil and his team. Um, and we're also able via Phil again and his team uh, to deliver consultancy programs uh, into businesses and things like that. It's something I'm doing a bit more of, you know, I've got a few courses booked in in, in January, February um, to do a bit of learning myself, try and use my brain for the first time in 20 years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and no, then, no, you know, keeping you yeah. honest, man. Keeping you honest. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And then eventually, I hope to be a full part of the team and able to deliver the same stuff Phil can. Uh, and at the same time, you know, Phil's from a military background, so he was in uh, the Marines for a long time. He okay. left early, set up this company, and yeah, yeah. You know, he's kind of like installs the things that he learned from the military into the business world. And I'm going to hopefully try and bring the sporting aspect um, forward as well. And just both try and combine our life lessons and um, put it out there. Yeah. For well, because I'm listening to you and you're, you're like, yeah, one thing, you know, that not that you struggled with and maybe you did struggle with it, but one thing that you felt like you needed to work on was your mindset, um, yeah. which which is nuts to me because it, either that or it worked. I mean, you had, you know, eight world records that are listed here on, on Wikipedia and then, you know, multiple world championships three, three gold medals. You went to the Olympics four times. And in that process, I mean, you know, a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that are cycling fans and enthusiasts, we've seen the sport, like the sport from 2008 to the sport that we know now, especially in the pursuit, like with bikes and technology. I mean, man, we used to ride our aero bars straight down and us riding, a, you know, a beach cruiser practically. And now our hands are buried in our face. And you know, we're riding, you went from 92 inch gears to 130 inch gears or whatever the hell that is, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. And so did you feel like your mindset had to change from 2008 to 2020, 21, even, you know what I mean? Like, or is it just, or is that a part of the mindset, you know, adapting? Yeah, I think in my youth, it was more a case of like managing nerves on the day. Actually, let's go back to your first point. You know, from the outside, it might have looked like, you know, you had everything under control and it's easy to kind of look at a load of stats and be like, wow, this guy, you know, he's always had everything under control. But, you know. Because that's the way I thought, like, I literally watched you and I was like, you know, this is one of the best team pursuiters in the world. Like, mm. you know, starter, man two, whatever. And then, but broken back injuries like you know all these things so you're saying your mindset was more the day than it was actually everything else around it or 
what I'm saying is in the same way that, you know, someone can have a, a baseline of fitness here mm-hmm. and then with, you know, X amount of hours of intensity and uh, top end work and gym work and, you know, aerodynamic testing, they can have a physical performance up here. You know, it's the same with the mind. You know, you're going to have people who's got a, a, have a baseline of fitness that's right up here and they're just naturals, you know, they're naturally yep. fit. And it's the same with the mind. You're going to have people that's, you know, mindset's just up here. They're naturally, they've just got it. You know, they perform under pressure. They can see, um, you know, they can see the sunshine on the worst of days. They can always see the positives in life. And to be honest, I think in terms of mindset, my baseline was, yeah, it's not massively low, but it was, you know, average at best. And for sure, there was some headroom that I could have made. And um, I like to think I did, you know, even before we got to Beijing, I was engaging in um, in that sort of stuff. Because as you know, John, you know, when, when, you've, when you sat there on the start line, and you've put four years of work into one four minute ride and it's um team pursuit is you know by far the most nerve-wracking thing i've ever done you know and um it's worse than getting up to your home olympics and doing an omnium an individual event because there's so much more resting on it you know you've got three of your best mates that have done exactly the same thing as you and you know you've gone through hell and back to get there and then you sat on the start line looking across the other side of the track, you know, at the Australian lads that you beat once in the last four years. And, you know, you can't just go out there and sort of rip around aimlessly for the first two laps. You've got to hit that first half a lap within a tenth of a second. You've got to hit your yeah. second split within a tenth of a second. You've got to, you know, hunker down into your bike, get your shoulders narrow, get your head down, look at where you're going to change on the track. Make sure you don't miss that first change because that's yeah. going to hurt you. And if you lose half a lap on your second turn, that's going to cost your teammates. And then, you know, there's an awful lot going on in your head. So, um, like I said, you know, I, I think the time that I spent sort of training my mind somewhat uh, to cope with those situations was time well spent. No, that's, that's yeah, that's super cool. And in the sense of, you know, because I kind of want to dive into, into 2021. I mean, you had a very successful career, um, you know, when you came in to Beijing, who was, you know, cause I, I'm assuming that the, the younger guys in 2021 were looking to you, like they, they were looking to you for advice. They were looking to you to almost help them be stress-free. I mean, we had a little bit of that, even with the U S team with some of the older guys that had traveled and like some of us, you know, first time being in Europe was with team USA. And so, um, that being said, who was that guy for you? Who was the guy that kind of like, Hey Ed, it's going to be all right, and you know, kind of took you under the wing. Yeah, Phil Kelly from Pro Noctis, that was okay. my man. And yeah, um, yeah I'd um, I was fortunate that I'd been working with him for years already. And um, you know, this is not something you sort of do on the big day. You don't ring him up in a big panic. And, you know, the day before qualifying, saying, "You know what, Phil, I ain't got this. I don't feel good. My back's in a state, and I'm going to let myself and the team and management and everybody down around me." You know, it's, um, again, like the physical stuff. You don't just turn up on the day of the race and give it a big, you know, act of heroics and emotion. And, you know, the person that tries hardest wins on the day. It's just not like that. It's um, You've got to put the, the time and effort in, you know, for months and years, if not decades before the big day. Um, so that, yeah, when you do get to those situations, you, you're not totally reliant on, uh, in my case, Phil Kelly sort of looking after you. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
coaching you through those moments, uh, you should be somewhat self-sufficient at that point. At least that's the theory anyway, John. No, yeah, no, that makes sense. And so I guess coming into 21, you know, you guys weren't the only team that had a bad day. Like it was actually, uh, what, there was eight teams. I would say probably five out of the three had a bad day. And even then, some of the guys that were having what looked to be good days, they would even say they had a bad day. Um, So uh, that all being said, like, how did you, because, you know, let's be honest, we've never seen GB show up to the Olympics with a bad day. Like it just, I, at least in my career. And so what was it like to kind of work with those younger guys and kind of, Cause you're, cause you're kind of dealing with your own stuff too, right? This is your last Olympics. It was probably emotional for you. Um, what was it like dealing with those younger guys to kind of keep them on track and keep their heads straight? Yeah. You know, what? for me to take credit for how those guys have, you know, of course, like people look to the elder statesmen in the team, uh, both the riders and the staff, you know, to make, key decisions at certain points in time and to kind of lift the spirits of the team and to be the sort of wise old owl when uh, you know it comes to the big day but you know all of those lads they're just winners they're just born winners you know Ethan Hayter Ethan Vernon um, they're not only like physically brilliant they're just I, I don't know what's um, what they've done right but they they're just they get things done. They perform on the big day. And yeah, of course they get nervous, but they've always stayed strong under pressure. And, you know, I think the the only thing I had to do for the two Ethans was hold up a mirror now and again and say, look, lads, you know, this is how good you are. And, um, you know, there's no reason to fret. Fact, logic, reason. You know, if when, yeah. when people start losing their mind, always bring it back to that. You know, if people say, oh, no, you know, it looks like we're going to lose the Olympics. We're going to have a bad day. Things haven't been going great in training. You just say, look, Funnily enough, lads, there's an awful lot of things in life that are outside your control. You know, no matter what you wish it to be or want it to be. If for whatever reason, you've got a threshold of 420 on the day rather than 460. You know, for whatever reason, your lactic tolerance is down, your body's under a state of stress that it's um, might be fighting off a small virus. You might be carrying a back injury that you're not sleeping so well. What can you do about it at that point in time? You know, there's, um, there's, there's very few things when you really boil it down that you've actually got full control over in life. You know, the one thing you have got control over is what you're going to do, you know, on the big day, you know, when, when the flag goes and it's like, all you can do, it's a cliche again, is you do your best. You, can yeah. you do it better than that? No, you can't by definition. So, you know, it's not worth losing sleep over and yeah, so the, the two Ethans took care of themselves, honestly. Um, again, with Ollie, you know, when, when Ollie did have a bit of a flat now and again, I think it's fair to say, but the thing you had to remind Ollie about was, he's <laughs> made me laugh sometimes because, you know, we've all seen riders like, you know, they're halfway around an effort and they'll throw the towel in either on the road or the track and if they're having a bad day. But Ollie would, you know, whether it be... Um, a pointless training effort or a big dress rehearsal or an Olympic final. I've never, ever seen him throw the towel in, you know, he'll, he'll just yeah. fight till he's not got you know, a single watt of energy left remaining in his body. And, you know, when he has a bit of a, a question or doubt in his mind, you've just got to remind him of that. He never gives up. 
and yeah. um, just got again it's just showing them the mirror and um yeah no that's impressive yeah and so so yeah so that all being said you know like i said you've you've experienced a lot you've been through a lot um what's probably what, what was probably one of the best world championships or one of the things that you will always take away with you um in your career yeah you know what there's there's a lot to choose from john um yeah which is it's, i guess it's a, it's a good problem to have but <laughs> the um a couple of races i'd say really stood out there was um yeah i had, I had a bit of a back injury and uh it, it, i'd say a, a bit is um an under exaggeration I had, I had a back injury i had a prolapsed disc in my back in december 2015 and you know at that point in time we're only eight and a half nine months away from the olympics and so i I don't know if your uh, listeners are kind of half familiar with how the body works because I certainly wasn't. But you know, in between <laughs> your in between your vertebrae, you've got these little sort of jam donuts that you uh, you know yeah, you yeah. Disc in the back, and one of mine popped. And the, the problem was, it got to the extent where there was so much pressure on my nerve in my right leg that we had uh, what you call foot drop. So you're not just getting hot and cold sensations in in your leg. And your sort of skin feels like rubber. So you, you lose the sensory stuff first, which is fine, really. But as soon as you lose the motor function of your leg, you're, um, that's essentially like uh, your leg's paralyzed, you know? I, I had a leg that didn't work. So that had to be kind of scary, point, man. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah. It's scary for a lot of reasons. It's scary because you want to win the Olympics, you want to defend your title. It's scary because you've got a mortgage to pay at that point and you've got dependents looking at you to, you know, provide a living. And um, it's also scary because you want to walk. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. I was more or less yeah. thinking, let's forget about cycling. Let's forget about <laughs> exactly, a mortgage yeah. for a second. But like just walking to my mailbox would be nice. Like I would yeah, appreciate yeah. that, you know. Exactly. Um, so when we had foot drop, it was a bit of a, a red light situation and we were rushed back from a mountaintop in Tenerife to an operating table. And um, it's quite a simple operation, but it's not something they, they do because, you know, any sort of uh, operation around your back and your nerves is something you'll... Gets all weird, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because if it goes wrong, you know, it's, it'd be a permanent thing. So, yeah, the, the, it was a difficult nine months, you know, from that operating table to ultimately winning the Olympics in Rio. And, you know, when you, when people see it on TV, they see a tough race. They see, a, you know, one of the all-time great battles with the Brits versus the Aussies. And, you know, it all came down to a few tenths of a second in the end. But, yeah, man, every day of my life was a fight, you know, f from those last nine months. You know, it all started, like, literally walking down to the post box. That, yeah. Funnily enough, that was my first day in the training oh, wow. diet. Walk to the post box, post a letter. It was about 30 meters from the front door. <laughs> <laughs> and then you ride in your mountain. In fact, there was this bloke uh, called Pete who used yeah. to drive this transit van. So I'd lie flat across the back seats because I couldn't sit up. So I used to lie flat across the back seats of this van um, to get taken into the track. And uh, we did that three times a week for about five months. And um, yeah, it's, it's a miracle we, we got to the Olympics, really, let alone... Had to go up winning it. So yeah, that that was a big achievement. That was one of them. Yeah, I think the other one was um, 
I've won one sort of pro ranked race. One. Yeah. It was a it was a prologue that was about I don't know it was less than two kilometers long, John. You know, funnily enough. <laughs> and um, sounds perfect. It was, yeah, it was. As soon as I saw it, I was like, here we go. There's sounds no one chance of winning a pro road race. And yeah. uh, it was it was out in the Sun Tour in Australia. And again, I was out there with a team called JLT. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it a team that I loved very much, and you know everything was great and. You know, it was, it was a massive part of my life. No, that was a cool, that was a pretty neat program, like for the longest time, because yeah. I mean, you know, now and it might just be because I'm paying more attention, but you know, in the States we have one team, you know, we have rally. That's pretty much it right now. We used to have United healthcare. We used to have like, what is not met life, but something along those lines. And then, um, but it seems like before, before JLT, it was just JLT Condor. Like that was the team in, in England yeah. and in, in the UK. Now you have like, what is it? Vitus and you have uh, the yeah, Rebel. Yeah, we had NFTO, we had a team rally. We had Madison for, for, yeah, for a yeah. long, long time. Yeah. John, we had a really, really good uh, UK scene on the road. Yeah. Um, I hate to say it, but in the last year or so, you know, coronavirus, probably more than anything, it's just yeah. really killed it off. And, you know, all, all these... I say social media killed ours, but that's just, that's me. <laughs> Let's not uh, get started on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why we're doing this here, man. This is how I get yeah. to race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thanks. Mean, yeah. Yeah. What can you say? I mean, like social media, it's one of them things I've never really had any love for. Yeah. But, uh, again, it's, it's my man Phil Kelly once said to me, just think of it like a knife. It can be used to nourish or it can yep. be used to hurt people. And uh, I think it's, that's one of the, the things that stuck in my head. Um, yeah. That he told me and it's true you know yeah we all use it these days and it's unavoidable even if you wanted to 100 percent, it's unavoidable i mean it's the hours spent on uh you know instagram or whatever in the hotel rooms is pretty pretty grim actually um yeah. but yeah so so that being said jlt condor and, and and winning that that race was one of your one of your highlights yeah <clears throat> honestly john it was um it was a tough time i mean like literally you know i speak about Hollywood earlier the guy that never gave up i was sat in track center with him when a text message came through from John Erity, our manager. And it was, um, there's a young lad called Jason Lowndes uh, mm -hmm. who just signed for the team. And uh, yeah, he, he, that morning he'd been hit by a car and he'd, he didn't make it. Mm. And I was, it was tough, you know, just to hear that, you know, not yeah. even knowing the fella, but then we flew out there to Bendigo you know, to do a training camp there in his hometown. And we were mm. really going to ride that sun tour um, in part because he was, you know, quite a big signing for us in that team. And we really believed that, you know, we could potentially win sprint stages with him there. Um, anyway, and there was a lot going on at that point in time. There was, you know, personal issues I had. And there was, um, that was the last year that JLT ran. You know, we were starting to get rumours in that the team wasn't going to go ahead. And like I said, you know, for a long time, that was almost as big a part of my life as the track programme. And, um, yeah, to kind of, it, it, was a, it was a tough camp for, you know, all those reasons I've just mentioned. And, yeah, it was, it was an emotional day, you know, um, when we finally got to the start line. And, yeah, it's, it's only sport, man, but... Mate, yeah, I, I, I wanted just, to win that prologue for a lot of reasons, and uh, when when we got it over the line, it was uh, it, it was a good one. Yeah, so you know, for all those sort of reasons that I've mentioned, I think that 
that one pro win that nobody's heard of is um, perhaps the most um, meaningful one I've got. Well, it's it's interesting too, just like because if 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 I don't talk to you and I just read your Wikipedia, or I just you know somebody tells me your your accomplishments, it, it look you make it look so easy, right? It's it's like all done so easy, and you're probably laughing to yourself that I'm saying it was so easy because back injuries, collarbones, teams folding, like I, you had you had more outs than you had wins, which is insane. Like there was multiple times where it probably would have been easier just to hang up the bike. And so do you, do you attribute that to, to a lot of the early stuff with Steve and, and even Phil? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I absolutely think so. Again, it's, um, there's some amazing Michael Jordan quote out there. You know, he's lost X amount of games and he's been trusted by his teammate to win the, to take the shot, you know, at the end of the game and lost. And, you know, that's why he wins because he puts himself out there and yeah, he, he's prepared to fail. And yeah, you're right. You know, when you look at that big list of races on Wikipedia, I don't know, there might be a dozen or so races that we've done well in or you know, half a dozen world championships and a few Olympics that have gone well. Yeah. I can't even count. Like if like yeah. it's, 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 there's a, there's a lot on here. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, John, if we had a list of the races that I've cocked up or we just haven't been there or form's not been good or, yeah, yeah. you know, there's been loads of world championships and never even made the start line uh, for various reasons. And, you know, this this recent Olympics is, um, it, you know, that's, that's what it looks like. That's what sport looks like. And I guess that's what success looks like too, you know. Yeah. Seven times out of 10, at least you're cocking it up and you don't get what you want. And um it is, it's sports ruthless. It's, it's setbacks, it's illness, it's injury, it's rejection. And it's getting yourself back on your bike and, and trying to do what you love. And um, again, that's not just unique to sport. I think if you want to be successful at anything, you know, um, in the world of business, in the world of media, um, it's hard work, isn't it? And I guess it's the people that are sort of somewhat resilient to the, the failures yeah, no, for sure. We'll keep going. No, for sure. I, I, I think that's awesome, man. And, and like I said, you know, I don't want to keep you all morning. So uh, I do have one more question for you. And this is, I ask everybody this on the podcast. And, um, you know, I never let anybody, there's only a few people that I give kind of uh, a, uh, a prepare. They, they, know, they know what they're about to get asked. But for you, I just kind of wanted to put you on the spot because you've had the opportunity to be with, I mean, hell, you've in 2004, you raced Madison with Cavendish. You've been in a team <laughs> pursuit with Wiggins, you know, Garon Thomas. Like, you've had a list of amazing people and riders that you've been around and trained with. But if you could have a cup of coffee with one individual, that's yeah. any individual, dead or alive, yeah. who would that person be? And then why would you have a cup of, a cup of coffee with that individual? Um, there's probably a couple I'd want to pick out. I'll tell you what. When I was a kid, I was uh, I was quite into my motorsport, and my stepdad Kevin was uh, he was really instrumental in my cycling career. Yeah, um, you know he really helped me. Like he bought my first bike and took me to my first races. But anyway, he was mad into his motorsport, and me and my brother would get up in the morning sometimes. You know when the race is on and uh, the Formula One was on in Australia. Yeah, and you know we watch it at stupid o'clock in the morning, and I was always a big <laughs> yeah I was a big Michael Schumacher fan. You know he'd tear yeah. around in his big red Ferrari and. It was always like, um, you know, despite the fact he was German and he was usually racing a, a Finnish guy called Mika Hakkinen or Damon Hill, who was a British guy. 
I was always a Schumacher fan. And um, I know F1 over there, Formula One's probably not as big as NASCAR and stuff like that. But, you know, over it's here, getting you know, it's getting there because we have we have the Netflix show. So we've, uh, yeah. turned it, we've turned it into reality TV pretty much. And yeah, yeah. that shit we latch onto. I mean, you've known our recent president is pretty much a reality TV show. So <laughs> that in itself is, is is what we look for. So, yeah, F1 is starting to kind of pick up around here. Yeah. So Michael Schumacher, he was, I mean, for those of you out there that don't know him, he was, you know, the biggest name in Formula One. And he's still, many consider him the, the greatest talent to have ever got in a car. And, um, you know, he got through all those decades of the top level in F1. And, and then he had a skiing accident and nobody's seen him still. He's, um, you know, from what we understand, he's, he's in some sort of um, state, you know, um, we, you know, nobody knows. Wow, he's only doing a good job of keeping it away from the press, but he's he's not alive and well as we knew him. Um, so, it, you know, when you look at the F1 now, which I do all the time, I'm a yeah. bit of an avid fan. You know, all the past greats are there in the paddock. You know, team managers or advisors or TV pundits and stuff like that. And you know, with Michael Schumacher, it's just like a bit of a there's a last piece of the puzzle that's not quite there and. I don't know. I'd, I'd just love to. Um, I'd love to catch up with him and um, talk about his career, talk about his mindset, and um, yeah, all that. No, that's he was a fascinating guy. He was a proper winner, and um, I was a big fan. No, that's super cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit the subscribe button and also go check out Ed's social media. He loves posting on social media. He posts all the time. But really go check out the Pursuit line and uh, his ventures over there. And and yeah, I, this has even got me thinking about my my human performance and, and those kinds of things because that's one thing that I don't have. And I, I always work on my own for for my mental health because I think I'm the big bad guy who can just figure it out on my own. And so sometimes you need somebody to talk to and just talk things out and hash things out. But yeah, go check that out. Other than that, we'll uh, see you next time. Cheers.